We've decided if it's a girl to name it after me, and if it's a boy to name it after me, and uh, if it's twins, they will use my first name and my middle name. So we've got all that covered. Well, we're going to keep on keeping on in our as we move forward and learning how to live a discerning life. And I, I've noticed I'm just going to, we're just going to get right into it this morning. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and just put your thumb there. We're going to hang out Colossians 2. But I have noticed as we began to deal with the aligning of the soul and spirit and dealing with our mind, our will, and emotions that there's been a little bit of a struggle for some and uh, that's okay, that's normal, but we're going to talk about a little bit today about hooks in our life that can get us messed up, things that can goof with us. How many of you know you're not perfect, but God is, and that Jesus lives in you? And so we're going to deal with the treasure that aligns the soul and spirit. How do we get the soul and spirit to come into alignment, and I think we have to deal with some just gut-level issues this morning about our life, because we've dealt with shame and condemnation, we've dealt with the areas where the enemy first attacks, and we've not talked a lot about the devil, and we're not going to today, with the exception, we're going to begin to talk about what the Jesus who lives inside of you did to, to the enemy. Because if you can release that part of Jesus that's in you into your mind, will, and emotion, you'll begin to see a lining of your spirit and soul. So let's go to Colossians 2, and I'm going to read to you out of the New Living Translation this morning. It was really a good read in this, and we're going to read down to the 15th verse. So let's, let's look at this together. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you. This is Paul speaking. And for the church at Laodicea. Now, I want you to stop there. I, 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 I had to resist the temptation to go into a lengthy deal about the church at Laodicea because it's one of the churches in Revelation that Jesus speaks to. And, and a letter is written to the church at Laodicea. And it, it, it is a church that has issues. Um, not only did they leave their first love, but they've got all kinds of things that are going on, uh, idol worship, etc. Culturally, they were struggling. And Paul, who has never visited this church, is writing them a letter, and he's agonizing over them. And he says, For many other friends who have never known me personally, my goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I'm very happy because you're living as you should and because of your strong faith in Christ. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him, 
Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him so you'll grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. For in Christ, the fullness of God lives in a human body and you are complete through your union with Christ. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. When you come to Christ, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. For you were dead because of your sins, and because, of your, sin, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. Now, we've been looking at a life goal that after you've been born again, the rest of your Christian life isn't learning how to get from him, but rather discovering how to release the treasure he has deposited into you at rebirth. Remember, this isn't a th something that you choose. This is something that, that happens in your rebirth when you are born again, and Jesus was very clear in John 3, you must be born again. And it's, it's not about getting from God, but learning to remove, renew my mind with seeing what I have received from God. And I want you to keep thinking about this as we go through this process, because in a couple weeks after Easter, we're going to take a turn to a little bit, a little bit deeper stuff here. But understand that God has given me, through Christ Jesus, everything I need for success in my life. Yes. Everything. Now, I'm gonna, I want to help you with something so that we don't get discouraged. God is setting us up. The first thing you not, need to know in aligning your soul and spirit, that the spirit of God in you is faster than the mind. The spirit of God in you is faster than your mind. That means he can be doing things before your mind even catches up. That doesn't mean you're without your head. It simply means that God is constantly, always at work in you. And the spirit is faster than the mind. We're going to talk about knowledge and understanding this morning. And revelation wisdom is more powerful than natural intelligence. I, I get really nervous when people begin to uh, uh, go after God and read the word and everything with natural intelligence. Because it's good to have intelligence. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you have intelligence. <laughs> say it in faith, but say, I'm glad you have intelligence. Okay. <laughs> Some of you caught that. Some of you caught that. Others going, 
Yeah, and faith, man, I'm glad you have intelligence. Okay. All understanding that you receive from God, now listen to this, is going to cause structural changes in your life. Say what? I think when we say, oh, I get it, and nothing changes, then we didn't really get it. Because understanding causes structural changes in me that are going to begin to show up in how I process the the gospel, the kingdom, how I process my relationships, my circumstances, how I process my failures, my successes. Understanding is going to change those structures inside of me. Humility of heart is the foundation for receiving all truth. Now, I want, I want to explain that. If you're arrogant and a know-it-all, you're not going to be able to receive the truth. Paul put it this way. He says, you know, he says, he says listen, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he, he builds this case. He says, I've confounded the wise with the wisdom of the foolish. He says, I've taken foolish people and people scratch their head as they do incredible things. He says, I'm going to confound the wisdom of the wise. The kingdom is a little bit different than the structure of our culture. And humility of heart is the foundation that I receive truth. Because if I'm not humble, I'm setting off this idea that I don't need the real truth of God. That I got it all figured out, and hey, I, I've, I've got my Bible, I've got it figured out, I don't need real revelation truth. That lack of humility is going to keep you from receiving the truth you need to set you free. I, and I know I'm talking this morning, uh, a lot of our folks are gone, but I'm talking to you this morning, and by internet, I'm talking to you who know Christ. There's two things that are going to hang you up in your relationship with Jesus. Arrogance and laziness. Those two things can bring you down faster than anything. When I'm arrogant, I don't think I need to learn more. When I'm lazy, I don't feel I need to learn more. Now, you all there? Say, I love you, Pastor. I get rejection issues up here. Alignment challenge. Are you ready? It's going to get crazy here. Alignment challenge. I'm wait, is, is, is t- there, Timmy's there. Good. I worry about Tim. Jesus has done everything that needed to be done in order to set us free from every ungodly thing we have ever done or had done to us. And I want that truth to rack into your head for a moment. Jesus has already done everything needed to be done for you to be free. Jesus opened the way for our spirits to be cleansed and restored and restored to a relationship with the Father. So he's done everything that needs to be done. He now has opened an access that I can have a relationship with Father God. And this is the one that's going to bug some of you. You're going to probably email me. You're probably going to want to talk to me. I'm going to put an aspirin bottle on my door and say, take two and see you next Sunday. Because here's the deal. 
Jesus doesn't want to make you strong enough to deal with your hurts. He desires you to surrender, come into alignment, and allow his grace to heal your hurts. He doesn't want you just to, oh, I'm dealing with these issues. No, he literally is waiting for you to surrender so he can heal your issues. He never intended for you to go through your whole life with these issues. But we have believed, and we're going to talk about why we do this, because the hooks and the strongholds in our life, we've believed that, man, I've got to carry this stuff my whole life. No, you don't. Well, there's a process, Pastor, and you talk about process. I do, and the first process, process you go through is surrender. Right. Now, let me make it plain for you. How many of you keep your, your garbage, you have a, something like garbage pail or pan or what, how many of you have one in your kitchen? Now, how many of you have it under your sink? It's under, okay, that's kind of the common place for it or it's beside the stove or something. How about this? How about you let that garbage sit for several weeks? How many think there'll be a little bit of an odor? Okay, so what you do then is you call a family meeting and you begin to discuss the process by which you're going to get rid of the odor that's now invading your kitchen. And you discuss why is the odor there. You discuss, well, it must be the garbage. And so you come up with a four-point plan to get rid of the garbage. How about this? How about walking over pulling the strings tight on the bag, picking the garbage up, walking it to the outside garbage can and dropping it in. How many think that's the most easy way to deal with it? Let me see your hand. Come on. Then why is it with the garbage in our life, we have meetings and all kinds of stuff instead of taking the power of Christ that's in us, reaching down, snapping that bag shut, taking all the junk, and just delivering it to Jesus and say, you deal with it. Because my dealing with it hasn't worked. You say, Pastor, you don't have issues. You have no idea. I'm an encyclopedia of issues. But what I've learned through a lifetime is when I finally get to the point where I'm done with this issue, I pull the, the straps closed, take it out, give it to Jesus, walk away, and then these are my words usually later, man, why didn't I do that 10 years ago? But see, the devil wants to keep that stench in your life by telling you, oh, you got to go through this process. You gotta, how about this? Confess it, pull it, leave it. Some of you think, oh, it can't be that easy because I've been dealing with this for years. Maybe you've got used to the smell. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm very smell conscious. And uh, I can gag at a moment's notice. It, it's, it's, it's a done deal. When I, when I was working uh, with emergency medicine, I, I, used to, I, I used to, I remember one time we were dealing with a very serious situation and there was a real bad odor in the ambulance and the driver ran over a skunk and we who were in the back started cheering. 
because it smelled better than was, because I'm very odor conscious. But what can happen is your senses can get used to an odor and you quit noticing it. And then somebody walks into your house and goes, man, that smells like three weeks old fish that's dying or is totally magnified. That means maggots. And... uh, (laughs) And we don't go, oh, I didn't notice that smell because you've gotten used to it. Zip the bag up, take it out, say, Jesus, I surrender this to you. And he dumps it. Okay, is that okay? I hope so. Now, undoing the hooks. It has never been the intention of God that becoming a strong believer be all that hard. I really struggle with, I struggled with that, even writing that down, because we have been told all our life that this is a, this is a, a tough task. I do think getting the soul in line with the spirit takes effort, but it has to be effort of surrender, not effort of works. Right. And it's an effort to surrender. It's an effort to say, okay, God, you fix this, and but it's never been God's attention, intention to go, you know what? I think I'm going to make it really hard for Elizabeth so she'll become a strong believer. And I'm going to have her marry this guy that's half crazy, a little bit broke, and uh, she'll be a, by the time she reaches her later years, sainthood will be there. <laughs> Which it's not coming. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting it, but anyway. It has never been the intention of God that becoming a strong believer is all that should be all that hard. We have just come to a place, we have to just come to a place, now listen to this, of active agreement with and then act on the truth of God's word. Here's the problem that we run into that keeps us going around Mount Sinai another time and sometimes for years is the truth is we don't agree with the word of God. I just, have you ever read the Bible and you come to a part that's really like just nailing you and you go, there are times our inner structures do not want to agree with the word of God. We have to trust scriptural precepts to work because God said they will. And if God said, if you walk in my ways and in my word, you're going to change and be healed and be processed, he doesn't lie. But our problem is, I don't agree with that truth. And what we're doing now in cultural and church circles is we're trying to reinterpret the truth to fit with our disagreement. Hello? And it gets us in big trouble. The alignment factor, and you need to grab a hold of this, and I mean you need to grab a hold of this. Paul says here, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's the bottom line, and Jesus, Jesus talked to this uh, with his disciples. He nailed Peter with this. But here's the deal. What you think about Christ, your ideas and your concepts concerning Jesus Christ are everything in the process of getting your soul and spirit into alignment. 
It was so big to Jesus that he asked Peter, as he announces what he's going to do in building the church, he says to Peter, well, who do you say that I am? You would think that Jesus wouldn't even ask that question because they've been walking in relationship at that point nearly three years. It was about six months from then that Jesus would die on the cross. And he turns to Peter and he says, Hey, Pete, um, I'd like to know what's the opinion out there about me? And Peter goes, well, Matthew 16, he goes, well, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're a rattling off what the popular theory and ideas of, of who this guy from Nazareth is. And he did, and he stops him, he says, Peter, got it. But who do you say I am? Now, Peter, now listen to this. This is where some of you get in trouble. Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, so that Peter would understand revelation knowledge and how it comes, he says, Peter, <laughs> that is is Jesus to us and be honest that maybe we think he might be more like Elijah or more like this thing or that thing or that place or this place and Jesus needs to stop us and say but who do you say I am because everything you think about Christ your ideas and concepts concerning him are everything to alignment the hard decisions of life that are made in the process of being embattled for alignment are in the soul. And as we line our mind with who Christ is in our spirit. So here's, here's the problem. If I have wrong thinking in my mind about Jesus Christ, I won't align properly to the spirit of God. You hear me? I'll leave some things out. I'll skip over things. I will address issues differently. Now, an alignment test. Do our thoughts about Christ change with our circumstances? This is a good alignment test. If you want to know that your soul's aligned to your spirit, find some bad circumstances that you're in, and does your idea about Jesus change? If it does, you're not aligned. It's good. Because Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's constantly solid, constantly the same. The only thing then that changes is my perception and my thinking of him. Right. 
And that usually happens when things go upside down in my life. Then we get the Israeli grumbles and murmurs going and we start griping and complaining and Jesus is suddenly slow. He's deaf. He can't hear. He does not care. He just wants me to suffer. What's wrong with him? Can't he see how broken I am? Can't he see what my past is? Can't he see what my parents did to me? Can't he see what that wife slash, what that husband, what that kid did to me? Can't he get it? Doesn't he understand? And all of a sudden, circumstances are dictating our thoughts about Jesus. That's the test. When I go through circumstances, do my thoughts about Christ change? We become people of the Spirit when we discover the nature of God in the situations that we encounter. Right now, in this little group gathered today, there are people who are going through marital difficulties, there are people who are going through relational difficulties, and you have spoken in the privacy of your heart some things to Jesus that are actually accusations to who he is. It's an accusation to his leadership in your life. You've told God, why did you give me that husband? You've told God, why did you give me that wife? You've told God, really, seriously, Lord, these children, take them back and get, get some new ones and, and, and some shiny ones and some really nice ones and everything and, and ones that, you know, aren't, aren't partially deaf, that they hear everything I tell them. And we began to say things because our circumstances are revealing our alignment, And when we go through that, when we become people of the Spirit, instead of complaining, we begin to find out this is who God is in the situation. In my trouble, I stop and say, God, who are you in this circumstance? How are you going to show yourself? And I'll wait to see you deliver. My circumstances then become, instead of a horrible thing, even in the midst of atrocities, my circumstances become, can you imagine, if you were to interview the guy that wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, I I would like you, when you get to heaven, to go interview him and talk to him and say, hey, if you had it to do all over again, Would you want you and Silas to be imprisoned for the gospel? And that's a horrible thing. And we know people that, but I'm going to tell you something. Paul's going to turn at you and say, I wouldn't have it changed because I was there the night that Cy and I were singing praises to the Lord. And we really had a true jailhouse rock going on because there was an earthquake that shook that thing down. Our chains fell off and we left. He wouldn't have seen God work in his situation if they would have complained about the situation. Or Peter. Peter, you were in jail too. You guys spent a lot of time in jail. Would you change that situation? He's, oh no, I saw God do a miracle. I'm sitting in my cell. And this angel shows up unlocks the door. He says, the funny part was I showed up to the prayer meeting that was praying for me and they didn't even know who I was. They want to know how I got there. (laughs) Now that's faith. 
How many times have we gone through situations and God comes through and we wouldn't have known him? And I'm going to tell you something, even in your failure, God delights in taking your failures and showing himself true to you. It is a delight of his heart to look at your failure and go, okay, I'm going to show you that I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Yeah, but I've been so horrible. I'm with you. You don't get to know God like that unless you understand how he deals with circumstances. What if every circumstance was primarily about discovering who God wanted to be for us? Can you imagine that? I I could go for hours probably this morning about, here's Daniel, lion's den. He's the lion tamer. Daniel's in the fiery furnace. He's the God that helps you walk through the fire. I mean, think about all the stuff that God does for you in your circumstances. How many of you have ever had a financial circumstance and it was down to the wire and God came through? He became Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. He becomes all these things to you because of your circumstance. Okay, three of you. Good. We are making progress. Graham Cook says these words, unless we put relational transformation before our desire for situational change, we will not develop our inner man beyond the simple yearnings of the soul. I can tell you, I've been in situations, stuff that's been done, things that I've done, stuff that I've done and that's been done to me, all the situations and the yearnings of the soul are a lot different than what Jesus was wanting to do in me. And through it all, the sweet voice of God saying, I can be anything and everything to you if you'll just surrender to me. We must see who God is for us. If we don't, we're going to be miserable. When we renew our mind, it is to bring us into alignment with his heart. We are heart people first, okay? And when I mean heart, I mean where we have a passion for Jesus. In fact, your soul is made up of your mind, will, and emotion, but I'm telling you, you, if you don't have a passion, an emotional passion for Jesus Christ, you're, you can say, well, I've got it all down in the mind. Yeah, I've been around you intellectual types, especially at worship, and it's a yawner. We choose, we go after things according to our passions. So God is relational. In the sense, he wants voluntary lovers who go after him. Okay? Now, proper alignment indicators. As I read this, I became very much aware of some things that were going on in Colossians. He says that their hearts may... Paul's telling his heart about how he, he's praying for this church and he's agonizing over them because he knows what's going on in Laodicea. He sees this all this this implosion and all this cultural stuff that's pressing on them. And he says, I want, you, I want my, your hearts to be encouraged. He, he, he says here, he says, I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God. 
our, and, and as I read this, and it says that, that, that we're, to be, we're to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And I think this is a spot that we miss in our gospel presentation and how we look at church that we need to correct in this house and correct in our lives. And it's this. When I get into right alignment, listen very carefully, I allow myself to be knit together with other believers. Dear Washingtonians slash Oregonians, I have a news flash for you. You live isolated. You don't understand this. If you go to the Midwest or the South, there's somebody in your business all the time. How y'all doing? Why don't you come on over and have some sweet tea, some ribs, and we'll just chew the fat. Yeah, can I carry those? I've had people, literally, I've had to go, would you leave me alone? Seriously. You must be from the Northwest. They're an unfriendly bunch up there. It's true. I used to be part of a denomination whose headquarters were in Springfield, so I flew a lot back there and was in meetings. And I'll tell you what, we'd get in a meeting and I'd say something to somebody and go, yeah, it sounds like the unrelational Oregonian coming out in you. We're just going to hang out for a moment with these ribs until we hear the voice of God. <laughs> when you, your ancestors moved to the Northwest Territory, they were leaving things behind in the East and they moved here to get away from people. It blew up in their face. Unfortunately, I spent 41 years now in the ministry, all of it in Oregon and Washington, and I can tell you that the most unfriendly, unloving churches on the planet belong to Oregon and Washington. You know why? Because they come to know Jesus and it's about them and Jesus. You did not get saved in a vacuum. Your heart, you want to know if you're in alignment? It's this. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. Why? He wants them to have full confidence of God's sin. You don't get confident in God's plan alone. It takes the body of Christ. If you're struggling in alignment, stop trying to fix it by yourself. You're not good at at fi- I couldn't fix anything in my life till I got me a spiritual papa that I could tell this guy anything about me. He knows all my secrets. And you know what? That works. We need one another. Knit refers to an action that naturally follows after a fortified heart. When my heart is fortified in the love of Christ, I want to be knit with people of grace. Your understanding of Christ has helped greatly when believers are bound together in love. Why? Well, let me just help you. Let me answer that question. I'm glad you asked. Do you ever wonder... Why certain people go to your church? 
I don't mean that they're horrible, but they push your button. I mean, everybody else, man, I really like so-and-so, and you're going, <laughs> I'd like to kill so-and-so. I don't like it. I don't see what you see in them. I mean, they're just... The re- you know what? God's going to send 10 more people like that into your life. And you say, well, why would he make me miserable? Because he's trying to align you. He wants you to realize to be aligned in spirit and soul means that there has to become a knitting together in love that we get confidence from one another. As iron sharpens iron, so do two men sharpen each other. Two friends sharpen each other. You know what? You're never going to get sharp if everybody agrees with you. In sharpening things, there's a friction. I love friction. I love, I love sharpening knives, too. I just love knives. I'm Scottish. Why wouldn't I? Friction actually brings a cutting edge to a congregation. Now, I'm not talking about fighting. If you're going to fight, go to the Baptist. I'm talking about where we might not agree or see the same on something, but we're sharpening each other by discussing it. We're sharpening each other by saying, I don't understand. What do you mean? What, what, what's going on? How, how? And pretty soon we get, com- or how about this? When's the last time you personally shared with somebody something awesome that God did for you? Maybe we need to make that a part of our worship for a while is turn to your neighbor and tell them something awesome that God did for you this week. Here's the deal. You might think, wasn't that big a deal? I'll tell one on Sophie. Because this, this was a great, this is a cool thing. She was in the store buying groceries. Like only Sophie could do, she reaches down into her purse and figures out Once her hand was in this large, enormous bag, she moved aside the lawnmower and and all this stuff and found out that she had left her wallet home. She's in the check line. All the groceries have been checked. She has no wallet. Before she could say anything, the lady behind her, who is an owner of a local business that loves Jesus, said, hey... Let me pay for those. And when she was done paying, then handed her gift cards to her establishment free and said, come join us and name the place. I'm going to say the place. Can I say the place? Because I want your, your fairway coffee down here. The owner paid for her groceries, gives her, gives her some, and here's the deal. If she shares that story with one of you on a Sunday morning, what's happening, you're being knit together, but it's also giving you confidence that the same God that loves Sophie is in the same line waiting to do for you what he did for her. And confidence in God begins to grow because we're sharing with one another and we're knit together. How about this? When one person goes through, through, you know, and I, I... Mm, okay, I'll say it. There shouldn't have to be phone calls. Now, I, I, I will call the elders and say, hey, will you go visit so-and-so and check on so But that shouldn't have to be for everybody. 
You should be wanting to check on each other, care about each other, love each other, because you are part of the body of Christ. And you need to have your revelation mind open. Hey, I think so-and-so needs lunch this week or needs lunch on Saturday, or hey, let's go do something on Sunday. Hey, let's get some guys, because you don't know who you're helping. And you think, most of the time we do stuff, well, it's for me. No, our goal is to encourage one another to be knit together in love so that we have confidence in God. How do I get confidence in God? By rubbing shoulders with other people who have confidence in God. Every great man and woman in the Bible had somebody that gave them confidence in who they were in God. Everybody's like, man, Joshua, he, he sure accomplished more than Moses. He spent more time with Moses and with God than anybody else in Israel. And when it came time, he had confidence because of the relationship with God's people. Come on. It's, it's sometimes I, I, I get frustrated just in my own self, but I get frustrated with our people when we, we go, oh man, isn't it sad that so-and-so fell away? It's terrible because that's our fault. We either condemn or we ignore and let them sink to the bottom of the barrel. Come on. Our hearts are to be knit together in love. And I put this in here. You cannot maintain grace in a graceless atmosphere. Oh, we want grace. Then stop being graceless. And I don't mean, I don't mean being mamby-pamby and letting people off. I mean, there's a time for confession and all that. But we have a rule here. We don't parade people's brokenness anyway. What we do do is point them to the mercy of God and have grace on them. Hello. But it's hard to maintain that grace because I listen to conversations in the parking lot and in the hallway, sometimes not too gracious. Hello. Hard to maintain grace in a graceless atmosphere, isn't it? Have you ever tried to live grace in a graceless atmosphere? It's, it's really hard. You still there? We're almost done. We're, we're about to land this thing. You okay? You're awfully quiet today. I, 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 I want you just get this in, in mind. There is a Christ resolve in the scripture. It's found in Luke 14, Luke 4, 18. It says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. And it lists all the things that Jesus came to do, to set the captive free, give sight to those who are blind. And he just lists them off. I think that Christ resolve needs to become our resolve in the body of Christ. That we need to start stepping back for a moment. Is, you know, let me just read it to you. I think, I think you need to hear it. Luke chapter 4.18. Luke always likes it when we read from Luke. He, he, I think he thinks it's a relative. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. If we would start to have that resolve we would see grace explode in our midst. Yeah, yeah good word. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> I can amen myself. I don't care. <laughs> Alignment confidence. 
Paul is suggesting that revelation of God cannot be properly apart from cultivating love within the church and Christian community. I think he's right. I don't think... Everybody look up here for a moment. How many would really like to see God move in this place and God speak to us in a true, profoundly prophetic word? Come on. Guess what? It ain't happening. Not until our hearts are knit together with love and grace toward one another. Remember, Acts chapter 2, they were with one accord, not in an accord. They were with one accord in the upper room. And that's when, the, when they got their hearts knit together, something crazy happened. How many times? <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you this story. So... Being raised in church, being, you know, my kids are fourth generation, being raised in, in the house of God, and, and there's a lot of crazy things that happen in church. Church is one of the funniest places on the planet to be. If you want great entertainment, hang around church long enough, you'll see stuff that you'll never forget. I mean, wigs falling off, denture. Oh, we had this old boy come to church one Sunday morning and he can't, he's, his teeth aren't fitting right. And uh, Ed, and his name was Ed. And Ed was old and his wife had, uh, had Alzheimer's, but it was the fun kind of Alzheimer's. And, uh, <laughs> and he comes and he, I said, Ed, is something wrong? He says, his teeth aren't fitting right. I said, well, what happened? Dad, he had this schnauzer dog, stupid dog. He said, I had to take these things out of his mouth and he was chewing on day. And he's got them in his mouth and I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> See, great things happen in church. And he was blind. Ed was blind. Oh, I could tell stories on Ed. Things he, things he said to my wife were crazy. <laughs> and it wasn't improper. He just was Ed. And one time she had a new sweater on. And he goes, he meant, he meant he liked her, but this is how it came out. I like that sweater and what's in it? <laughs> okay, Ed. <laughs> That's good. Go take your seat. <laughs> Had fun with that. One Sunday night, the Spirit of God is moving greatly in the congregation. We're taking communion. And his wife, she gets the communion served to her. She eats the bread, sucks down the cup. And Ed's waiting patiently for the instructions. And you hear this, Ed, quiet Ruth, Ed, eat your cup, eat your bread, drink your cup. It's not time, Ruth, just be quiet. Ed, that's how loud she is, Ed, eat your bread, drink your cup. It's not time, Ruth, pastor hasn't said. And then she uses a four-letter expletive out loud. See, 
some of you are going, oh, how horrible. I thought it was hilarious. I'm, I'm draped over the front pulpit, dying, tears streaming down my, because the Spirit of God was gone anyway. You might as well have fun with it. That's how we get, you know, want to know something? When I left that church, that old man wept on my shoulder as a dad not wanting, 88 years old at the time. You, you get bonded with people. And as you do, you begin to, and God begins to move in a church that's cultivated with love. You say, yeah, but, but there's been people in here really blown it. And, and you, you, you know, you're not no peach, buddy. And, uh, you know, hey, guess what? If Jesus was around, I think he hangs out with the people that have blown it. That's his congregation. It's not the good Pharisees. Or the, it's the cruds. Often wondered what would happen if we had a church called the First Church of the Cruds. Because <laughs> let's be honest. Let's stop with this religious false front that we act like nothing's ever wrong. If we would cultivate love in our church and cultivate grace, what we would see is the Spirit of God rising and we would have confidence in who God is. But half the time we don't have confidence because we don't have confidence even in one another. Come on. Intellectual comprehension of the things of God will not bring full understanding of the mystery of God. For full understanding is found through the love of Christians for one another. I I can't. There are times that in my life I haven't understood certain principles of the word. I could not grasp them but it was a brother or sister in the Lord, a mother or father in the Lord that helped me understand things. You would have been surprised, and Angel, why don't you come and give us hope here. You would have been surprised at at the people that were at my foundational training. Crazy, crazy stuff preaching my first sermon to a large congregation. The pastor just left. The denomination says, you're, you're flying the plane. I'm going, uh, I don't even know how to preach. I mean, I do, but I've been out on a reservation and they weren't listening anyway, so. <laughs> I, and here I am put in there and I'll never forget the first Sunday. Two things happened my first Sunday I spoke. The first one, as I noticed this, this guy, I knew his son, but this guy, old white-haired man, comes in the back, sits in the very back. There's about three, 400 people there, and he's sat in the very back. The place is packed out. He sits in the back. I said, I think I know that guy, but I don't know that guy. And so I tucked it away. I got to get to know that. I got to get to know that guy. The second thing that happened that morning was two old ladies. One was a retired principal. The other was a retired English teacher. Both those are not friends of mine. And they met me at the back and one looked at the other and said, you tell him. No, you tell him. And so they tell me, your English stinks. I said, really? Yep. But don't worry, we'll fix you. They were serious. I go, how are you going to fix me? They said, next Friday night, call us. Read us, write your sermon out in manuscript form. 
call us and read it to us. We'll both be on the line. For the next six months to a year, every time I spoke, I'm on the phone Friday nights. And in one year, I became better because of those two ladies. The white-haired man, he taught me to pray. I went over to his house one day and, and knocked on the door and I asked his wife, I said, where's Virgil? And she says, he's in the prayer closet. I said, where's that? Go to the garage, you'll find him. He's sitting in his car. I thought, you're loony. Why are you sitting in your car? He unlocks the door and says, get in. He had this deep, booming voice. And he says, I'm just going to teach you to pray by modeling it. And he puts his hands on the ceiling for some reason. And he begins to pray. And he turns to me, when you feel like it, you just join in. Every week, I'm in this dude's garage in his car with my hands on the ceiling, just like him. I learned, I had a, a thirst then for prayer because it was through love of other people that made the gospel confident in my life. Our church has got to change. When we are loved by other believers, we experience Christ through them and our knowledge is enhanced by them. Opening the vault, Paul says, he says this in, in Colossians, he says, when you are knit together and you're walking together, there's love going on. Look what he says. We have full confidence. They have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which Christ is Christ himself. In him lie all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we are knit together, we become open to all the riches of full assurance, understanding, knowledge of the mystery of God. You say, why is that? Isn't it weird that we love who we love in church? Face it, let's just be honest. None of us would be hanging out together probably if it wasn't for Jesus. You guys aren't rowdy enough. And so, you, you know, we all, you know, some of us like sports, some of us don't. Some of us like this thing and some of us don't. All of us like steak, and, and so we can find good grounds there. But, but, but here's what I'm saying, is that when we're knit together, it opens up the vault of the riches of Christ Jesus. We cannot pursue knowledge of God in willful, unloving isolation, rejecting fellowship with others. Isolation is not good. Now, culturally, I'm from a people that like to be isolated. They are introverts. And God has fixed that by giving me an extroverted wife who talks to everybody in the store, whether I tell her don't do that or not. She has to know everybody in the store or at the pool or wherever it is. And it's like, don't do that. One day I asked her, I said, you haven't told them our name, have you? She says, why? I said, if you do, use a false name. Because we're just introverted, some of us. Others of us are extroverted. I got a grand, I got a grandkid, 
They'll ask you, what is your name, shoe size, waist size, how much is in your bank account? Are your, he asked the lady cutting his hair one day. I got him in there, and this is Korean lady cutting his hair. She struggles a little bit with English. He goes, what's your parents' name? And she tells them, him a Korea, two Korean names, and you can see he's looking at him and he's going, what? I'm going, oh, Jesus, don't let him, don't let him comment. But you know what? If I was God, now I want you to hear this. If I was God, every church member would be like my grandson. Loving, caring, and interested in what your name is. I'm done. I'm done. We'll come back next week to look at Rooted and Built. Let's stand.